All right, let's talk coffee, because I love it. (laughs) Did you know that it's the number one source of antioxidants in the U.S.? It's also the third most consumed beverage around the world, which means there's a dark side to coffee. So in order to produce a cash crop like the coffee bean, farmers often resort to spraying crops with harsh chemicals and pesticides not life boost. Not to mention the drink itself is generally really acidic, causing stomach issues. And often, coffee lovers like me are forced to give up their favorite morning cuppa when they get older. And since, yes, I am getting older, don't tell anyone, I switched to life boost because of its low acidity and insanely delicious flavors. Not only that, but B and I wanted something that had all the health benefits with none of the molds and chemicals found in your store brand coffees. LifeBoost third-party tests for 450-plus toxins, including mycotoxin, which, if you didn't know, are toxins produced by molds and funguses. Sheesh! How did you not know that? Where have you even been? Get on my level of Googling things because you have no idea what the hell that was. Molds, heavy metals, and pesticides found in other coffees are detected with LifeBoost third-party testing system to give us the cleanest, healthiest cup they can provide to their customers. I know, I know, you're a hella sold right now. And look, if you're not, fall is coming up, bitches, and I would be lying through my teeth if I did not tell you I did not have a basic bitch living inside of my soul, ready and waiting for some fall pumpkin goodness, and you can get all of the pumpkin-y spice yum without the chaotic amounts of sugar with Life Boost and their fall flavors like pumpkin spice, butterscotch, and even some more so go get you some because you are listening to me rant about my undying love for coffee and since you're a fan of unmasked you can get 30 percent off of your coffee order with our code of unmasked that's u-n-m-a-s-k-e-d today let's be real we do not get near enough quiet in our lives Between the emails and the TikToks and the Snapchats and the Instas, I seem to be constantly buzzing with the sound of technology. Although it's amazing, and I mean, let's face it, where would you be if you couldn't listen to me talk about fight stuff, right? (laughs) Or coffee. Or floating. (laughs) We still need quiet. So, might I suggest floating? If you're hella confused about what I'm talking about, that's okay. Let me try and break it down real quick. So a float tank is a pool of heated water combined with a magnesium sulfate to allow your body full buoyancy. Floating in the chambers have been known to ease tension in joints, muscles, and aid in mindfulness, potentially leading to decreased stress and anxiety. A place to float offers an incredible spa experience from the moment you walk into the building. Like I've said before, Brandon and I strive to find the best companies that will uphold our values and a place to float does that to a T. Might I recommend our podcast where we had the owner Aaron Douglas on? He's an amazing human with a genuine passion to give us all a place to zen out. If you're in need of a little you time, use our code of UNMASKED to save yourself 20% on your first float. That's U-N-M-A-S-K-E-D to save yourself 20%. We are here with Dr. Aaron Convoy. Yes. (laughs) Hi. What are you a doctor of, Aaron? (laughs) Um, I'm a doctor of medicine. 
Um, and I, I did my uh, post-medical school training in pediatrics, medical genetics, and then one additional fellowship in biochemical genetics. Fellowship, like Fellowship of the Ring, that's the only thing I equate that to. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, journey, the journey is just as long. Yeah. I think it, it, a little more student loans versus throwing a ring into the ball of fire. It right. feels like right. it could have been maybe one or two movies or one or two years instead of like 10, but yeah. you know, here we are. Yeah, but it's, uh, so during pediatric residency, you learn how to take care of kids. Um, and you know kind of preventative care but also you know treating in in hospital and, and that sort of thing during medical genetics you learn how to diagnose patients of all ages actually kids to adults with genetic disorders learn how to you know manage them and put together treatment plans based on genetic disorders um, and then biochemical genetics is a group of inborn errors of the metabolism <clears throat> We eat carbs, proteins, fats, they all get broken down and those breakdown products make us in some way, right? But there's complicated steps, hundreds and thousands of complicated steps, and some of those can go awry. And so it's really, biochemical genetics sounds complicated, but it's like thing A turns into thing B, and if the arrow that turns A to B is broken, you get a whole bunch of A, not enough B, if A is toxic, bad things happen. If B is really important, then bad things happen and you can get super sick. That's so, so insane that we have so many things that could go wrong. Like that the fact that they don't on most people is a freaking miracle. Yeah, how are how are humans held together? <laughs> so many things can happen. I agree. I agree. It does baffle me as well. <laughs> um so when you're doing this is going to simplify it down to like really stupid people terms. Um, when you are doing like biochemic stuff or uh, bioengineering, you said there's a list of things that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. Is that pretty standard for every single person or does it vary like age, sex, yeah. et cetera? That's a really good question. So <clears throat> there are a group of disorders that are screened on the newborn screen. So okay. kiddos can present in the first few days of life. Hopefully the newborn screen catches them before they present, but sometimes they're so severe that they end up in the hospital um, with like low glucoses or feeding dysfunction or kind of like out of it mental status changes oh, okay, okay. as a presenting signs. Babies are really difficult because they don't do a lot. Yeah. And so you kind of have to. I mean, they do a lot. They just do like the same thing over and over. Yeah. And you're like, okay, <laughs> I get it. It's like three things. Cry, nap, poop. Right. Yeah. So, right. Oh my God, okay. Right. So if they're sleeping too much, not eating well enough, um, then those are the those are the, the symptoms. Um, and you have to send blood and urine tests to help to diagnose those. Okay. Um, and then wait for the newborn screen to come back if it's pre-newborn screen results. But um, the newborn screen itself has you know, been able to uh, prevent a lot of illnesses as a result of that screen coming back positive and us catching it early. Do you dabble or like, like um, I guess, check into the idea of like DNA swabbing and stuff like that. Does that help you guys at all? Or is it straight like blood and pee work? 
We we swab kids every single day. So Do you? okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> actually, COVID um, has been quite a mixture of things, right? Yes, and, as um, it has been. Yes, for everyone. And one of those things that has been actually pretty helpful is that labs realized that for them to get samples during the pandemic, they needed to have something that could be sent to homes, done at the house, and then sent back. And phlebotomy was not a great choice for that. So Yeah, yeah uh, that's a little harder. <laughs> so a lot of labs now uh, allow buckle swabs, so cheek swabs for most genetic testing. Wow, that's really crazy. It is, and it's really important for people to know because I think a lot of times they're worried, like, how do you get the DNA? Like, if I'm gonna have my kid get, you know, get a you know a genetic test like does that mean a really big intervention does it mean a bone marrow biopsy you know like what right, could it, right. what, what is the what is the thing that happens and a lot of families are really super surprised when I, you know i tell them it's just, it's just, just a cheek saliva swab. just yeah, a cheek swab that's super and that's so much easier to do with a kid like it you is. can do that with anyone. It's easy. Everyone can do it. Everyone participates. You mm-hmm. can show a child how to do it. It's yeah. super, you know. It's not a needle going into their arm or yeah. blood, which is yeah. terrifying it when is. you're a child. Yeah. Or it when is. you're an adult, don't come for me, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so when we do testing, we often get parent samples, and so I usually do the parents first so the kids can see that yeah. it's not a big deal. So. Yeah, that's super yeah. cool. I, I mean, aside from your super powers you did like a really cool talk the other like the last time i talked to you you were like i'm really excited i get to do a presentation and i'm like yes girl get it what was that on (laughs) so i've done um a a few talks about undiagnosed rare disease clinic it's most most of what i talk about at work um because at the beginning of 2020 we started a clinic for patients who have very high likelihood of a genetic disorder but it's not yet diagnosed. So the crazy thing about genetics is that we have somewhere between 20 and 30,000 genes. We know what 5,000 of those genes do from from the perspective of like human disease gene association. And so, you know, math, you know, if you math that out, it means that there are a lot of patients who have likely genetic disorders that don't have a diagnosis because a gene hasn't been discovered yet in some cases. Interesting. Okay. So we know like one sixth of what. Yeah. That's the, wild. The odds are strongly against. Yeah. <clears throat> and so when we send the biggest and best test that we have, we diagnose about a third of cases. And that's probably because some of those 20 to 30,000 genes are maybe way too important. If there's a if there's a change, of, a pathogenic change or a mutation in one of those genes, maybe you don't ever grow and develop. So there's probably some amount of genes that are just so important to, to human development that they don't cause a disease, they just don't allow you to grow and develop it at all. Okay, um, so I had a genetic disorder that didn't allow me to grow past four, five feet. I got you. I see what you're saying. I mean, is cool. that a disorder? Is it just a... <laughs> it's a good question. So there's like variations in particular genes that affect their function and so could lead to shorter stature. Um, some of those things are passed down in families. And yeah. so in general, you're somewhere between your mom and your dad's height. Right. Um, and if you're a female, you're a little less tall. And if you're male, you're a little taller on the average. Right. 
<clears throat> yeah, so there's normal variation, and then there are causes of short stature where, where there, you know, achondroplasia or extreme short stature where patients can't get above a particular height and it's life altering, right? Because yes. they need um, certain things. Um, that allow the the pedals of the car to be longer, or their their countertops in their home to be shorter. That or sort of like thing. I don't know, a stool at the grocery store would be really helpful. I have stood on so many shelves; it's stupid. The shelves that say "ask for help" without reaching, just climb the motherfucker. No, I was like, I will not. <laughs> I will not be asking. I, I have always, help. as from a young age, just like no. I yep. will not ask for help. No, I, I will can not. do this. And if you try and help me, I'll kick you in the knee so hard. No, I'm joking. I didn't ask. I didn't <laughs> ask for this. <laughs> but, what, but the same thing, I guess, like people that are just way too tall. I mean, there's yeah. there's some be my you know, my car. People say is like, oh, it's too short. I'm mm-hmm. Like, I can't even sit in this thing. I'm mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> They have to cut out the top of the car to get in the car. And yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, that's that's just as much of an issue for some people. Yeah. Um, or Andre the Giant, who literally couldn't get drunk. Like, he had to drink so much. Oh, yeah. Interesting. He, he, his was an interesting... Because when he would sit on the plane, uh, he had to take up, like, two or three seats. Okay. So, and it was very uncomfortable. He couldn't use the bathroom the whole time he was there because their bathrooms were too small for him because he uh-huh. was like... They're too small for me. Uh, let's just be real. They're too yeah, small for me. Yeah, they're not big bathrooms. And, <laughs> and he was just like, I can't fit in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. So, how did you even get into jujitsu? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, I wanted to live vicariously through my children, so I started them in jujitsu. When oh, I was okay. when I was younger, um, I had asked to do martial arts, and my parents were kind of unsure about it, so didn't I wasn't able to do it as a kid, um, and so. I thought, well, I'll give my kiddo at the time, William, Ben was too too small, um, an opportunity. So we tried a few things, Taekwondo, and that didn't work out. And then Jiu-Jitsu at one gym didn't work out, but then we found another gym that was really supportive and had a great kids curriculum, um, Imperial Jiu-Jitsu up in uh, uh, Rochester, Minnesota. And so started him there, and it went really well. Um, and then I realized that there were these adults coming in after the kids' class. And I always sort of associated martial arts with something you start very young um, to be able to have you know success at it, right? But then there were these adults coming in that were my age. And I was like, oh, wait, hold on. So yeah. I can do this? <laughs> and then I'd watch, them, I'd watch them wrestle, you know, grapple. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is something that I think I could really get behind. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> get some aggression out, get some com- like com- competition out. Where, right? where in uh, Rochester was it? It, um, in Rochester, Minnesota, it was actually right next to this nine round kickboxing gym is where I was going okay. at the time. Um, it's, uh, it was in the, I think it was the north, northeast or northwest Rochester. Okay. Okay. My grand, I, I know Rochester well because my grandparents, that's where they were. Oh. So my grandpa would upholster all of like the Mayo doctor's houses. Oh. So like he would, is an upholsterer and he would go in, in the hospitals and reupholster stuff and like reupholster stuff for the doctors and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm very familiar with Rochester and the Mayo Clinic. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had forgotten about that. I know. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. That's right. That makes so much sense. (laughs) Like, of course you'd be there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's where Jay and I trained. My okay. husband and I, we, he did internal medicine. I did peds and to start off with. And so that's where we did our training. So, nice. Yeah. Do you guys ever collaborate? <laughs> yeah. So we just put together uh, a clinic at the end of last year. Um, so we started in December and it's called Immunogenetics Clinic. Okay. So um, he sees patients with immunodeficiencies and, um, and the, the immune system is super complicated and he, he knows it well and I don't, but I could help with genetic testing, diagnosis and interpreting that test and looking up treatment and management guidelines based on the genetic testing. And so he brings patients to that clinic who he's, he has a high index of suspicion that they have a genetic underlying cause for an immunodeficiency and I'm there to help with coordinating genetic testing and, and helping to interpret that test. And so one day a month is how we, we've started. Uh, and we see patients together. In how clinic. does that feel? Like knowing that you and your husband are like basically saving people together. Like that's so cool. It is. That's it's a really dope fun. job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, been, I've been really excited about it. Um, Do you ever have like Eureka moments over coffee when you're like in your bathroom and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> And then you're like, I have to tell Jay. Yeah. Or you like turn to him. <laughs> we do. We talk a lot about different um, different things. And, you know, he, he'll he run a patient by me um, and kind of talk about them. And was like, you think they need to see genetics, right? I'm like, yes, absolutely. They need to see genetics. And then, you know, I'll, I'll we'll have, you know, genetic testing come back. And I'm like, does this fit? Like, I know what the gene is. I know what it should do. But like, does this look close enough to this patient to be the diagnosis for this patient? And then he helps me interpret that part of things so that's really it's cool. really collaborative and fun yeah that yeah. is really cool this is gonna sound way too personal so please feel free to say like I'm not gonna answer that <laughs> but like do you think that really helps you as like a, a couple together is to have something to work on together yeah I think there is something that had been missing because like we when when I was in medical school and when um like we were kind of working together and he was teaching me because he had started medical school before for me okay. like that was I liked that collaboration and learning from him and seeing and understanding the things that he understood um, and then again we would we would kind of work together here and there but then we were missing that for a long yeah. a long while um, and now that we're working together again I think it is it's like this added like part of a relationship that I felt was a little bit lacking. Like I get to hear all the things that he understands. Yeah. He explains things to me and vice versa. Yeah. So I do, I think it improves our marriage and Yay, our relationship. I love that. Yeah. I think that's really cool because it literally has nothing to do with like being a parent or being romantically involved. It is straight mm -hmm. up like the heart and core of who you both are, mm -hmm. like finding ways to work together. And it's interesting to see how he interacts with his team and how I interact with the team, you know, and we see that part of each other that we don't typically see, like the professional working yes. part of ourselves yeah. that like has been very much separate for a long time. Interesting. So, yeah. so is that like a, uh, you said you started a clinic then? So is that like a side <laughs> hustle then that you started? It's going to build to something, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you started your own thing because you currently work somewhere else, right? So, yeah, so there are these, so typically I see patients like just in, gen, in genetics, um, but in the meantime, over the last four years, 
four years, I've started three separate clinics that are multidisciplinary clinics. So I go up to see with the ophthalmologists and help them with genetic testing, diagnosis, etc. And so this was a multidisciplinary clinic. So it's like I still am doing the work that I'm supposed to do, but I'm doing it in a different space with different people. Is it similar to like finding um, a area of study to like write a doctorate on or write a dissertation or whatever it is on? Like getting those grants for those clinics, do you have to write those or you just go to the hospital head and say, I want to start this? That's a good question. So for two of the three clinics, I was able to go to my department chair and say, hey, this is what I think we should do. Okay. This is what you know I think would be helpful and kind of wrote out reasons why. Um, and that was all within IU Health and, and funded by IU Health. The undiagnosed rare disease clinic is a different story because there is a research portion of that okay. and that needs to be grant funded. Okay. And we are currently in the middle of trying to get more grant funding because our f- current funding source is about to run out. Um, you need to go fund me? Do you want us to like, be like, hey, go I've help us? Uh, pimp that on our Instagram for you? Yeah. <laughs> I've thought about it. So actually, I could send you a link. Yes, um, do. And, and it goes directly to IU School of Medicine for Undiagnosed Rare Disease Clinic. Okay. Um, I, had a, I had a death in my family recently, and it was put in her obituary. And so, um, oh, wow. so there's a, a small um, fund of money that's been left in her memory that I'm trying to use to solve a couple cases so that we can say, yes, this money was used to diagnose these patients okay. um, and has improved their lives in this way. Yeah, so, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Do you write the grants or do you have a grant writer? So it's a mixture. I Most of my time is spent in clinic taking care of patients, yes. so there's not a lot of time for grant writing. Um, but what I do is try to write papers that will help to support grants. Okay. I review grants, and I'm part of part of a team writing grants, but I'm not the primary writer okay. in okay. any of the current grants that we've attempted. So... Um, I have a project manager who's amazing um, that helps me with like finding grant funding sources, summarizing, you know, a few that we could pick from. Um, and then I find collaborators that are good at writing um, yes, and okay. try to go for those grants together. Nice. Yeah. Yay. Okay, sorry. I totally derailed our jujitsu conversation. I was like, oh, that's right. That's right. I, 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 was, I said at the beginning, I was like, I'm really interested in all the doctor shit. Yes. I don't know any of that stuff. So, I'm an idiot. I don't know any of that. So you saw all these people beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. And you were like, I fucking love that. I need that in my life. I yeah. need that for myself. This violent Aaron is violent. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yep. So, okay. So you signed up. Yeah, so Jay actually uh, was really interested in jujitsu and learned a lot about the Gracie family. And so um, when I saw this happening, I was like, well, I can't sign up without like having him sign up first. So I I was like, for a Christmas present, I'm like, I'm signing you up for jujitsu. I know yeah. you want to do this. I know you're interested in it. So let's do this. Sign him up first because we still had two young, you know, we had two young kids and we didn't know about timing. So I, he started in January and I think I may have made it to March or April <laughs> by the time I was just like, please, can we also find time for me to do this? Yes. <laughs> yes. So that's, that's how that happened. And, um, I actually recently reconnected with one of my coaches, um, 
from uh, Imperial. And so Dan Leichel was the, is, was the brown belt at the time, now a black belt. And then Ryan Stock has now opened up his own gym. And I've reconnected with him. Um, and he reminded me that I was pretty shy starting out. What? <laughs> well, I know, right? It's like when? hard. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, what? I've never met this, Aaron. It's hard, to, it's hard to imagine. But like, yeah, I guess apparently I was, I was shy early on. But he was the first person to call me killer and, you know, support me through, through like that early, very early time before I've come here and met amazing people and I'm training with you know, Eric Board and James Klingerman. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like jiu-jitsu kind of brings shyness out of people because it's such a, like you sweat in each other's mouths. So like you're on top, you know what I mean? Like you're always like really close to people. Yeah. So you kind of have to open it up and like not be recluse. I, I also agree. think there's a lot of loud people in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Chase. Yeah. So I just feel like... <laughs> He's one. <laughs> I feel like you kind of, you know, you're allowed... You realize very quickly that you're allowed to be your entire self. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that shyness was a lack of confidence. And then I think over time, the increasing confidence led to less shyness oh, yeah. and more kind of like being assertive and being aggressive, as you've seen. Um and, she and goes, I think as you see them, as I beat the shit out of all of you. Yeah. Yes, we have seen that firsthand. You are correct. Been there a couple of times. Yeah, been on the, been on the wrong side of that. Seat a times. And, I, and I think it translates to other parts of my life for sure. Like the the confidence that I've gotten from jujitsu is like translated into my job, like making decisions and feeling like I'm capable of doing the things that I've done. And you know, at work, I, yeah. I, I don't think it would have been done with the same amount of of ease or confidence had I not had jujitsu to learn from yeah I mean also it's interesting because it's like I think too with jujitsu and I say this a lot is like learning that you can make mistakes and it's not the end of the world yes like that is such a big part of how I became confident because even if I make the wrong miss or even if I make the wrong choice I can still figure something else out you know yeah. now with people's lives it might be a little different sure but, <laughs> but it's also important to to know that you can make a mistake because we're all human we're all infallible right. and even physicians screw up sometimes Absolutely. and i've certainly Absolutely. been there um but i think what's important is admitting to it learning from it yep. talking to colleagues about it and not not you know being embarrassed by it but instead saying this was a limitation that i had in my understanding this is why I made that mistake. I'm fixing that by filling this learning gap. And now that that gap is filled, I'm not going to make that mistake ever again. Sure, there's going to be others, but like that has been rectified, right? Like the time you get choked out and you're like, I'm never not going to try and protect my neck again. (laughs) (laughs) How did the upper belt catch me with that choke? I tapped, (laughs) we're back at it. Or just like, you can be like me and you have, it's a three strike rule. Where I'm in someone's garden, I'm like, I did the same thing three times, and on the fourth time, I'll try something a little different. Because the first time, I was like, maybe it wasn't me. Uh The second time, I was like, okay, that was probably them. The third time, I was like, no, that definitely was me. And the fourth time, I was like, I need to fix this now. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think Chase does a good job of that. Eric Board does a good job of that. It was like, if you're going to keep doing that same thing, if you're going to keep being head heavy, I'm going to keep choking you, Aaron. You know, it's like, that's fair. Yeah. I need to sit back a little get my hips lower and stop yep. being so head heavy but yeah. you know it's a constant struggle, it's a constant struggle. <laughs> That's fair. so when was your first competition when did you decide okay now i want to compete 
So it was the ego, um, probably in 2019 or so. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I went up against Savannah Porter and she was a four stripe white belt and quite good. And I had been doing this for like There's six months. There's a reason to call months. her savage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she, she beat me hard. That was, that was a really difficult, uh, learning process for me. There was one point where I had her in my clothes guard and I was trying to go for a cross choke and she looked like maybe she was actually thinking about what I was doing and cared about it, you know, to try okay, to protect okay. her neck at one point. But that was, that was it. I just remember that one moment of like, maybe I've got something here. Um, and so lost, cried for three hours straight and then cried myself to sleep at night for three or four days. Um, I love that you say that because that's me. I'm like, cool. I'm just going to, I will get off the mountain and sob about yep. it. And then Kessler's <laughs> like, no, I want to teach you something. And I'm like, now is not the time, my dude. I can't. I can't, I can't think right now. <laughs> so that was my introduction to, to com- competing. Yay. And it really drove me to get better. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Fair. I got, yeah, I got the four wiped with me the first time I competed. So I, I think I drew a, a somebody who wrestled for 15 fucking years as a white belt yeah kicked the shit out of me and then i saw him in the expert nogi division next i'm like fuck you dude yeah (laughs) of course of course you are (laughs) yeah that is that is it's the great equalizer right you get out there and you just put it all on the mat and it's like where are we here yeah Yeah. what exactly happened so you said you only been training for six months when you did that i think so i had started um, started in Rochester for a few months and then had been training here for a few months. And So you moved within a few months of training there. Then. Yeah, yeah. It was really just the beginning. And then I've been, um, I, I've been training here in, in Indy and Zionsville for four years. Okay, so what yeah. brought you out to Indianapolis then? So I finished training in Rochester, Minnesota, and um, first real job was here okay. at IU Health. So um, after a decade of training. I was going to say, did you want to stay in Rochester? There were parts of Mayo that we really liked. Um, but the difference between an, that, that particular institution, um, and, and IU health, which is growing and changing was that they had a spot for us, but we sort of had to do what they needed. Oh, not okay. what we kind of could develop into or, I got you. you know, and, and IU Health is growing and changing. And so both Jay and I have been able to do some unique things, um, fill, fill gaps, you know, and, and help to develop something from the ground up, which is something that we were interested in. in so you were out. more hired contractors at Mayo Clinic? Yeah, basically. it was a you little bit like that. Go do this thing real quick, and then we don't age until the next thing. And yeah, I mean, you would be part of their team, but it would be more of this is our need. If you stay, this is what you will do. As oh, opposed, okay. to, and and I'm sure you know things have changed, and we haven't been there for four years, so it could be different now. But at the time, they had they had all their things set up and and they didn't need a lot of growing and developing, right? I was like, Mayo Clinic has been around for forever and has been a very well-established, like, medical field for a very long time. Yeah. So I I understand that, whereas I think IU is still, is in its beginning stages. It is, yeah. Have you ever thought about U of M? 
Um, University of Minnesota. Yeah, Michigan. Michigan. Uh, we, I interviewed there for Peds residency, and I really liked it. Yeah. I like Dan Arbor. That's where it is. Oh, right? yeah. I yeah. love Dan Arbor. Well, yeah. I asked because that's where Hannah was born. Yeah. And their pediatric area was just always so lovely and wonderful. And Yeah. No, the, the Peds residency. So, you yeah. know, sorry. Yeah, no. It was, <laughs> the Peds residency was great, and I and I, I liked it a lot, but we, we ended up going to Rochester, so... Yeah, I'm so glad you're here, though. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so you, okay, so you went from training in 2019, doing your first competition in 2019, I mean. Yeah. And then um, COVID hit. Yeah. And then we met you, and it was all, like, virtual stuff. Right. How did that affect yeah. your game? Um, I think it, I think certain things plateaued okay. during that time. I think there is a little bit of a, a slowdown in, in learning because, um, I, I, I don't think I'm that good at, at learning, um, from, from just like seeing, um, and retaining it that way. I need to to do things. I need to roll with different people. I need to learn muscle memory by, oh, by yeah. drilling. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I do know there are people and, and, and Jay is one of them, um, that can, can see a move and perform that move directly thereafter. Whereas I have to mess around with it, try a few things, understand how it works and it'll take a number of attempts to get to the point where it's like, okay, that's how you complete that sweep sort of yes right yeah <laughs> yeah i think i i used to be a little more like the longer i've been in it and kind of understood you know going on a decade of doing it then yeah. it became a little bit easier to look at those things but especially in the very beginning there's so many moving parts yeah it's really hard to like visualize what the hell that is yeah Do you use in since that is a way that you learn so well you're a hands-on learner yeah do you use anything um this is gonna sound really stupid so please don't come for me in jurassic park there was a moment where they used like 3d models that were projected on the screen do you ever use stuff like that to help navigate dna strands and stuff like that or is it a whole different ball game because it's all just like numbers and letters and stuff like that no so so dna you can think of as a little bit more linear um okay. because it is kind of a strand of ac's t's and g's all all together there there is certainly three-dimensional structure that that occurs within the dna um that things loop around and, yes. and are closed and open depending on gene expression but the most applicable like 3d modeling is actually for proteins so you've got okay. dna um, is turned in, is copied into a message mRNA. That RNA is then translated into a protein, which is what we're made of. Okay. And so that is certainly a, a three-dimensional structure where it's like, I think of it as like pearls on a string, but then they're all wrapped up and knotted up into the structure. Okay. Um, so little amino acids, and then they have different affinities for each other they they like or don't like each other a okay. certain amount okay. and that causes them to to kind of come together almost like magnets into a, a, a ball but that's a reproducible like every time it usually like makes that same configuration and 3d modeling um, is is very much how those proteins are understood okay. Um, okay. so crystal structures are made 
and then protein models are created to understand like, hey, if this letter in the DNA is affected, that little pearl on that string is affected. Um, and so that configuration is much different. Different, because it's not going to be then attracted to the one that it was the last time. Okay. Exactly. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I was like, wow, that's really interesting that you're a hands-on learner, but like what you're doing is like kind of not hands-on. You can't, <laughs> you can't really, really grab it and like can't magic squish it. You can't your way into yeah. someone's body, unfortunately. Exactly. But next question, if you could, would you? <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Hell yes, Miss Frizzle knows what the fuck is up. So the way, so the way I, you know, make up for that is pictures, right? Okay. So w- when there are pictures of cells and how, how certain proteins function in the cell, that's, those are the things that I I create these pictures in my mind if they don't exist in a textbook or on a website and then that's how I remember it remember the time that I went and asked Aaron for help with my biology and I still fucking failed biology because I'm like I don't understand any of the (laughs) shit that's happening but but you were the student that was like I need to know the nucleus is the powerhouse of the cell whereas I'm like what? Yeah. Why am mitoc- I learning this? Well, it's the mitochondria. Oh, it's the mitochondria. Yeah, the mitochondria. Oh, that's the okay. Technically. See, I don't but even now, know that. I saw an upsetting TikTok that someone was like, it's no longer the powerhouse. It's the well of the cell. And I immediately disliked that TikTok and said, get the fuck out of here. We know it's the powerhouse. Get out. Did you yeah. report it? I almost did. <laughs> Oh, Fake yeah. news. I would. Fake yeah. fucking news. Alternative facts. <laughs> <laughs> Your next jujitsu competition was what? Um, the next one uh, went a little bit better. Was that at a blue belt or were you still a white belt? I was still a white belt. Um, but I'm not... Yeah, I'm not remembering. I think it was a local. Oh, I think it was it was the one that we were talking about before this. Um, I um, after open mat, I was talking to some people that. So the the next one I think was grappling industries, um, and what happened there was James Michael, who was our morning class um, teacher, had had offered to help out, but something came up last minute and he couldn't he couldn't coach me, and so I had rolled with Eric Board one time prior to this particular competition and I saw him there and recognized him and asked him to coach me and he was taken a little bit by surprise but helped me out (laughs) (laughs) and then uh, I ended up being paired up with this um, ultra heavyweight woman and I was a little intimidated but he walked me through every single step of what I needed to do. He, you know, essentially in the round during the competition while I was competing, he was right hand goes here, left hand goes here. You take the back by doing this and that. And I just listened and I did what he said and we won. (laughs) That that sounds like bored though. That's exactly how he teaches everything. It was amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. I need to be able to listen to him when I'm competing more because when I'm competing, it's just like, it feels like I'm underwater and everything is just like a muffled chaotic. It's hard to hear too because there's so many things going on. His voice is fairly distinctive it is right on the bicep yeah <laughs> <laughs> no and now and now i feel like we've got our our system where he you know says certain things in certain ways and i know exactly what 
I need to do so he doesn't have to be quite as right hand here, left hand here as he, as he did in the past. And now it's more of a, we know what one another is, you know, he knows what I know, you know, right? Um, and so he can say things in the way that I'll understand it. And so it really, it really helps. That's so fun. I yeah. love it. That's what a good coach does, though. Like, yeah. I mean, we've had him on the podcast twice, right? Yeah. Yep. And we know him well. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We know it. his I life story. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so let's go ahead and fast forward then. Mm-hmm. When did you become champion of the entire world? <laughs> So it was. <laughs> is that what it's called? Is that I, the title? It's pretty nice. I like that title. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way. Do you just wear your belt around and just like <laughs> tell your children they better behave this, sh- or this belt is gonna know their name, kind of shit? I I I put I put it in a in a little box in my closet underneath something. Aaron, that's where the that's where the, this. That's how much your three dollar medal meant to you. Like, <laughs> it's about that it happened, right? Not yeah, about sure. the thing itself. It's the experience, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was November, uh, a year, a little under a year ago now, out in Vegas. Um, I I competed at at Worlds Master Worlds, um, and. I went up against someone who I had met um, at the Indianapolis Open, um, and then two two women who I hadn't gone up against before, and ended up winning all of my matches, and that meant that I I got to be a world champion. Yeah, so. champion of the world. I love it. The entire world. <laughs> Did you? I mean, now that you have this newfound confidence, do you think that really like? made it easier to compete or yeah yeah I think it did um so since then I've competed a number of times and I go into it with that same mentality of like I'm training hard and I convince myself whether or not it's true that I'm stronger than her I'm faster than her I've trained harder than her and I'm gonna win Right, and it's almost kind of like a little mantra in my head, and I learned that at my first IBJJF tournament um, in in Indy last May, because I was standing on the sidelines before this this started, and the anxiety in my chest and the sickness in my stomach was like overwhelming. Yes. And Board looks at me and he's like, you know, gives me this sign to breathe in and breathe out, and I realized that I was like. I was on the verge of like a little bit of an anxiety attack because I was so nervous, right? Um, and so I did that breathing, but then I was like, Aaron, you need to switch your mindset like fast because you're about to go and you, you're you not ready for this. <laughs> and so I was like, what do I do? I just convinced myself. I need to convince myself that I'm better than her somehow right now before I go out there (laughs) because otherwise she's going to win. If I'm already beating myself before I step on the mats, then, then she's got the upper hand. And so I just decided I need to tell myself I'm better, I'm stronger, I'm faster, and I'm going to beat her. I'm so envious of you right now. I think I, I tried really hard to do that in my last match in, in a standup and I just... I don't know if I could ever say those. I'm working on it. Therapy, guys. Yeah. But it is really hard. I just, I'm so envious that you're like, no, we just have to convince ourselves. Because B does the same thing, and I'm like, I don't get that. Well, I've also fought MMA and done a lot. I've been doing it longer, yeah. and I've had to really convince myself 
quite yeah. a few times because it, and also too it helped that I've had coaches straight up tell me like hey they're thinking the same shit as you are you know like they are just as terrified and just as worried about getting hurt and this mm-hmm. that, and the other like fuck it just go out there and do so the damn then, thing can I ask the both of you what do you say to yourself if you don't win after you've convinced yourself of this newfound thinking and then you don't win what happens then what do you say then I like that you're looking at each other right now. That's like, tough. Do we tell her? Aaron, do we you tell go her first. The okay. <laughs> so what's happened for me is that that was a learning gap. That was a knowledge gap. There's something about what happened that is going to be learnable, and I can fill that gap. So okay. yes, I lost, but that is something that now is is something that I can improve on. So the the last time I lost um, a match was May uh, 2021 at that Indie Open, and um, she, the I had an advantage on the board, and she didn't, and that's where we're at. And so I held her in my half guard for the rest of that time. Um, the end of the tournament, the the advantages switched. And it was actually her advantage, not mine. And in my mind, I had this like inkling of that doesn't seem right that I have an advantage. She seems like she's winning just from gut feeling, right? And so then from then on, it was like, okay, trust your gut about that. If you feel like you're losing, work harder and try to get a darn point, (laughs) right? Like try to actually, and so from then on, it was like, I just, tried harder rather than like I it, it since then I have not gotten to a point where I'm just gonna sit and wait unless there are true points that I absolutely knew that I earned and then you can stall a little bit to get to the next position so I think there are things that get you down but they're learnable fixable things at least that's what I tell myself no I think that is a literally what you said about making mistake in your practice mm-hmm. anyway yeah you know you admit you did something wrong know that you can fix it know that you can train differently mm-hmm. or learn about this specific thing which is I mean that's exactly what martial arts is supposed to do right it should be able to cross over into your life I'm I'm still trying to find that because I don't think I've gained the confidence in my martial arts that I need to then cross over into my real life and vice versa. Yeah. So, but I want that. So every time I hear someone come on the podcast, like Sarah or, you know, whoever, Mm -hmm. and they're like, no, I just, I know I make mistakes and that's okay. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, how? (laughs) How is that okay? Yeah. But learning from it is important. Yeah. Martial arts has taught me a lot that it's okay to make a lot of mistakes because you still get up the next day and mm-hmm. come back and do better mm-hmm. and that's also helped me not be so frustrated about other aspects too because mm-hmm. I had I had my my first jiu-jitsu coach he used to fight MMA too and he was like you get 24 hours to be mad happy whatever it is yeah but you still gotta go home the dog still gotta go outside to the bathroom you still yeah. gotta put laundry in you still gotta get up and go to work the next day Right. It's no sense in dreading or doing backflips over it. Like yeah. you said, your medal's at the bottom of your closet. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> super fucking cool experience. Yeah. And you'll always have that because you're the champion of the earth, the entire earth. <laughs> the whole world. Like but, uh, but like, but you know, but the medal isn't necessarily, you know, I mean, like I've got medals that were given to me because I just showed up and yeah. nobody else did. And I'm yeah. like, it was that easy. Yeah. I just had to show up. Right. You know, right. so it's like. 
just like when I, you know, I lose a fight. Okay, that really sucked. Yeah. But also, the three of us are a very small percentage of people on the earth that actually do combative sports. Right. And also, they even compete in combative sports. Yes. So, in the entire world, I can probably beat up 85% of them. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm really glad that you have that confidence because I listen to a lot of murder podcasts and I'm going to go ahead and say I probably can. Okay. <laughs> Let's say there's rules. We don't have weapons. Yep, yeah, exactly. In my weight class. I know. I was, yeah. In my weight class, which is like, how many people are going to try and attack me in my weight class? I don't have a lot of 125-pound men coming up and trying to attack me. Not many. Right. But that's an equally trained person, right? I think right. you could probably definitely go out your outside of your weight class with an untrained individual. Okay, okay. Oh, absolutely. Say, I'm going to yeah. put up one hell of a fucking fight that's if right. they come for me. Yeah. Unless I'm running and they hit me on the head and then I'm They're going to get real tired and they're going to get real tired. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to go down easy, all right, guys? That's right. <laughs> you can put that in my Dateline 2020 <laughs> podcast of my death. I don't light up a room, but I put up a hell of a fucking fight. Okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. What else do you think that you can say that you took away from, I mean, all of your wins, all of your losses? Yeah. Um, so, interestingly, when I'm out there and fighting, it never feels easy, right? Okay. It's I, I, I may be able to count one or two fights where I felt confident and it was in, and it was working well, but a majority of my fights feel grueling and difficult and I know to expect that now um, as opposed to it being surprising when I'm in a fight and having a really really hard time um, and so I think that and and competition training and realizing that like despite the the difficulty and despite the grind that is so that is you know really exhausting that you can still pull stuff off like you can still do something even though your body is telling you why don't you stop you're why tired you this, <laughs> this yeah. was really hard <laughs> then your mind needs to take over my like, i'm gonna do this body <laughs> i'm in charge of you <laughs> just like just like eric board says your your mind will quit your your body will quit you know million times right and and you need you, you know you need to decide if you're gonna keep going or not and and it's it's a mental game from that perspective it's yeah. fair that is fun it is a lot awesome. of fun yay thank you so much all right Thanks cool thank me. you goodbye everyone bye, bye. are you gonna talk you're just gonna crunch in the microphone do it again, Mikey. I can still hear out of this one. You remember after Ninja Turtles? The first one? No. Mikey was eating a Butterfinger. He goes, ah, that, that, get a. I don't know how I feel about this situation right now. He crunched very loudly in his ear. That's how that happened. <laughs>